That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, somebody requested that we begin with the music of the Same Old Song podcast, but uh, you'll just have to wait for this to drop online. If you are listeners out there in the future listening to this, we are live recording at the 12th Annual Mockingbird New York Conference in the chapel of uh, St. George's Church. We'll be talking about the fifth and sixth Sundays of Easter. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here at Mockingbird with everybody. Uh, what else could I say? And so in front of a live audience. But it is uh, great to be here, and it's great to be here with you. How are you doing, Aaron? Well, it could always be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And so, and that's a perfect segue. No, I'm just kidding. We're doing no. great. I, I feel like, just to paint the picture for our listeners, I feel like somebody's smoking outside behind me, and it's coming through the door, so I can feel the, I, I smell that. It feels gritty and very New York-y. Uh, Jake's hand is on my thigh, so that's also happening right now. <laughs> so there's just a lot of things in a live recording that you don't get when it's just um, on the podcast. Anyways, so, but, I, but thank you, Jake, for asking. I'm doing well. I'll stop Good. now. Let's talk about the season of Easter. We're in it. We're now uh, five Sundays in. The readings for this Sunday are the 11th chapter of Acts, mm. Revelation 21, and uh, John 13. So we got something happening in Acts, which is the early church as it grows. Revelation, which fast-forwards to the end of the story. It's actually the end of the book of Revelation. And then John 13, which is then backtracking to the Last Supper. Uh, so even though we're in the Easter season, we're, we've kind of hit rewind, and we're in the conversation Jesus has with his disciples before he dies. So there's a lot of time periods happening and things overlapping and all that. So uh, it's a lot. Well, I think it's really important what you just said. And I think a lot of people can forget that um, is that we are in a season of Easter. Easter is not just a day. It's a season that we live. And we actually, every Sunday is the celebration of Easter and the celebration of the resurrection. And so I want to encourage as many people as possible to continue to eat peeps yes. and uh, continue to enjoy uh, chocolate eggs. But here we are, and we're in Acts chapter 2, and we see the ramifications of the resurrection uh, being broken into the church, and uh, we're moving forward. And the apostles are there with believers from everywhere. And you said Acts chapter 2, and I know I'm that's in, because you yeah. were thinking of the second chapter of Acts, that great early yeah. Christian <laughs> rock band, because that's all you listen to. Yeah. These are the things you find out about Jake's inner life. Um, so Acts chapter 11, yeah, the, the apostles are, lear- the apostles, we, we begin with offended Christians. Mm. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter was in Joppa, and he heard, um, he had a vision. It was a trance. He got this, that sheet was lowered down, and all these uh, bacon cheeseburgers tumbled out, and all these unclean foods, and God said to Peter, eat it, mm-hmm. uh, quoting Weird Al Yankovic. And Peter protested three times, but still, uh, finally he gave in and ate. And then the whole point of that was God was getting him ready to share the gospel with Gentiles, uh, specifically Cornelius, who lived in Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea, where you, I'm sure, just were in Israel. Yeah, and, it is, and it's an interesting place because Caesarea was, uh, 
was a pagan capital. Yeah. I mean, a good, good Jewish people did not go to Caesarea. Right. And so Peter w- was specifically brought there uh, to preach the gospel to a Gentile. He does this. They all get converted. They, it's, it's uh, um, you know, uh, revival time. They're, they get a dose of the ghost. The Holy Spirit shows up. And they say, well, let's, let's go ahead and uh, baptize these folks. And they do. The whole household gets baptized. And like church today, word travels fast yeah. when the wrong people have gotten into the That's flock. Right. That's and right. And so when, you know, those, those uh, I remember a guy who showed up at St. Albans one Sunday, and he had a neck tattoo uh, that said, flunk you, uh-huh. except it didn't say that. Uh-huh. Like right there for God and everybody to see in the what front row. What did it row. say? No, I can't say no, it I'm out loud, <laughs> Jake. This is a Christian podcast. Yeah, we don't so. want that E rating. But yeah, so he had FU right on it, right in cursive on mm. his neck. And uh, I was like, oh, I, you know, worried am I going to get a call? Because clearly the wrong type of person has showed up in church if you got a profane tattoo on your neck. Mm. But uh, fortunately, people are gracious enough or just they judge quietly and not mm. out loud. I didn't hear about it. But in Peter's day, he's hanging out with uncircumcised Gentiles. He's eaten with them. And so he, what he, the, the apostles and believers who in Judea had heard that Gentiles had accepted the Word of God, and they don't say, yay! They say, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Mm. The law dies hard even for post-Pentecost Christians. Yeah, and also the other thing is, is that I think, you know, what we see here very, is that the gospel, and to stand in the gospel and this message of forgiveness and grace for all people, uh, really will put you in uncomfortable and awkward positions. Uh, yeah, and so that happens to Peter. And, and you know, Peter doesn't uh, learn this lesson once and never need to learn it again. Yeah. He'll continue to forget. And he himself will go back to the law and thinking that there's sort of good Christians and bad Christians and rule-following Christians and backslidden Christians and attend every Sunday Christians and Christmas and Easter Christians, and he'll make those distinctions. Um, but we always need to come back to the gospel. And so Peter has to explain to these apostles, his friends, his co-workers in the Lord, what happened to them. I had this vision. God himself told me to eat unclean things and says that God has made all things clean. And so, you know, then I went to this guy's house and everybody got converted and it was a big Jesus party and we baptized them all. And so then finally they praise God um, and they're amazed. And I think, you know, what's interesting here, there's a lot of fascinating things about this passage. And if you're a preacher going to talk about this, I think, you know, definitely talk about the ways Christians tend to make distinctions, kind of create ranking systems yeah. even within the church about who's in and who's out. Um, but I think also this incredible thing, the gospel is so bananas that God would show up to Peter and say to him, the parts of my word that you read saying you can't eat these things, those things aren't true anymore. I mean, it's just an amazingly, I think, subversive um, thing that God is saying, get out the whiteout for part of my word. Mm. And that's why it's so hard for them to accept. Um, and I don't know, I don't know even I know, don't know what to do with that today. From a scriptural hermeneutic perspective, that's a big thing to say. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. What, anything else you would say about this passage? Well, yeah, this is a very important thing. I mean, it's not like null and void. Right. This is the thing. Is that not when saying you, when, that. When we're looking at the law, it's not null and void. It has been fulfilled. And so a lot of these things were established for Israel as a theocracy. 
and so and to set them apart from the other nations. And what um, is now happening, because Jesus has died, Jesus is the one shoot out of the vine of Jesse, and is now, the nation now is, go, the word is going to the nations, and the people of God are becoming all the nations. You know what I mean? This yeah. word is going out and to, being brought in. And so um, this isn't about um, whiteout. This is about fulfilled. And so now this word and the main word is going out to um, the Gentile nations, and that is, uh, repent and believe the gospel. And uh, and this is the thing. And when you see this, you know, you see these two baptisms. A lot of people want to make a distinction. And uh, no, the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance. This was happening to everybody. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is, um, this is what's happening. People are now being filled with the Spirit. They're becoming part of the nation and part of the people of God. Yeah. So that's what's happening in Acts, and then we move to Revelation 21. So we go sort of post-Pentecost, early church, now to the end of all things, Revelation chapter 21, where uh, we read that there's a new heaven and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem, this holy city comes out of heaven from God, um, and God is dwelling with His people. The Revelation, as we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, is a hard book to preach on because there's so much culturally there from right. the time, and a lot of people have ideas that they got from other places about yeah. Revelation. It's a scary book, and, uh, and it, well, it's been made into a scary book. And the, when you interpret the book of Revelation, um, you, uh, <laughs> don't want to do uh, with the New York Times in one hand and, uh, you know, the, the Bible in the other or whatever. Uh, what you want to do is you want to use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. And what we see in the book of Revelation is actually, I mean, really the fulfillment of, of what was going on in the book of Acts as this word kind of comes, goes out to the nations. If you look at the way uh, Luke, the um, way Jesus uh, gives the Great Commission in the, in the book of Luke, it begins in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the very ends of the earth. And so you see this happening. And the book of Revelation, through John's vision, gives us kind of the consummation and the fulfillment of all of this. And the powerful thing is, is that there's this weird understanding in, in religion about climbing a ladder to God and making your way to God. Um, uh, and the point that we see here in Revelation is that the new Jerusalem, you're not going to it, it is actually coming to you. That's right. And uh, it, it is coming to you uh, in a very, very powerful way. And this is the whole, this has been the whole crux of the whole thing and the whole hope beginning since uh, Genesis chapter 3 with the fall, is that finally God is dwelling with his people. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's Here right. he is. It's being fully realized. The home of God is among mortals or is among people. And there's this, uh, it, it, again, it, it's hard to do as a preacher, I think, to talk about the, the right understanding of heaven. But I think there, if you can do it, it's a beautiful thing to talk about because most of us have a Norman Greenbaum or... Um, who wrote Spirit in the Sky, like One mm -hmm. Hit Wonder. Yeah. Great guitar riff, but sort of bad theology on some levels, uh, because you just you are whisked up to heaven, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we see in Revelation. Number one, you see, and it, again, people think earth bad, heaven good. Yeah. Again, not what we see here. The whole creation, heaven and earth, is made new. There's a complete remaking of all mm -hmm. things. Everything has passed away, and um, this new city, this new Jerusalem comes down to us. God is always incarnational. You know, we talk about that a lot with Jesus, obviously, coming to us, but this is, God in Scripture is it's never people going to God. It's always God coming to them. It's God showing up. Um, God is looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. God finds Abraham where he is. 
God calls Moses out of exile. Um, God is always uh, entering in, breaking in, and, and it's that way in the new creation as well. God says, I want to dwell with my people, and this is such an antidote to the idea that God is far away and we have to be good enough to get to Him. He's the one that saves us and redeems us, and even at the end of all things, it's not the rapture, it's God comes to us because He right. loves us so much. That's right, and this is a very powerful thing. This particular passage is also read at funerals, so when you're preaching on this and when you're thinking about this, think about your own death. And, uh, you know, yesterday's Mockingcast, you guys really hit on that powerfully about, you know, celebrations of life and all of this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, and you hear all these eulogies and they're about, um, you know, uh, 90% false. Um, but, you know, and people are left with a real emptiness. And this is why we gather at a funeral is not to just remember the person, but we celebrate the one who has been victorious over death. Actually, the old prayer book liturgies only mentioned the person of the deceased once. The rest was um, about Jesus and his victory. And we see this here and the comfort that comes at the end of the age. And what our hope is as Christians is that there is coming a time when all of this will be made right. You know, uh, the, the marriage that fell apart, the marriage that never came together, the loss of a child, the uh, whatever. This is, I mean, these real serious things. And it's not just Syria over there. I mean, I, I get tired when I hear people talk about, well, at least I'm not in Syria. You know what I mean? That's to sell your pain short. And when you get in touch with your pain, you can get in touch with the power of the gospel and this idea that there is coming a time when God is going to wipe away every tear. And that preaches. Yeah. That preaches. And yeah, and I think I've had uh, encounters pastorally with people who are actually worried about meeting people in heaven that they haven't reconciled with on earth. And this is, I mean, and it's just weighing on them. It's kind of one of those things that people don't talk about. But there are folks who you know, uh, live audience here today, I mean, people that you know you've done wrong, and maybe there wasn't time to reconcile uh, in this life. And these people were, you know, baptized in the body of Christ and uh, fed with His body and blood, and so presumably uh, uh, you will be reunited. And that's why you have to talk about, in heaven, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mm. Like there's, there's, and it's poetic language, and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but in some way those relationships are going to be reconciled. There's not, you're not going to be able to hold a grudge in heaven. That's, and that is because, as it finishes, see, I'm making all things new. That's right. Uh, Jesus isn't the least bit interested in making things better. Mm. Uh, he wants to make them absolutely new. Preach. And this is what he's going to do. And you have this. And so how do we know that? Because the apostle says this is true. Yep. You know what I mean? So these things are uh, basing themselves almost as like legal testimonies. This is true. And then why? Because it's done he goes on to say, and then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So he's been, he, he knew about your problem then, and he know, he's going to be at the end when you come out of it. And uh, to the thirsty, um, I will give you water. And this is really important, especially in a world, I mean, you know, I, water is tough to come by. Except in the chapel of Calvary St. George's, <laughs> yeah. where we had a roof leak today. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to, that was baptism. But anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, but the, the powerful thing is, is that if you are thirsty and like the deep quench of your soul, that deep pit that was never reconciled, um, Jesus says, there's coming, I'm coming to you and I'm going to give you so much water, your thirst will be quenched. Amen. Uh, then we turn to the gospel of John, the 13th chapter. Um, 
this is going back again. It begins, this is verses 31 through 35. And by the way, I had somebody who asked if we could read the passages before we talk about them on the podcast, and uh, we have made a strategic decision not to do that just because time is limited and, you know, it takes a while to read these and you have very short attention spans, folks. Mm. I mean, let's be honest. No, I don't know. Maybe you don't. But um, uh, we encourage people to, to you, you go to lectionarypages.net or whatever you want to go and read these before we talk about them. But anyways, the, uh, back to John's Gospel, 13th chapter, verses 31 through 35. So just a short little bit here um, at the Last Supper. They've, uh, Judas has gone out now to betray the Lord and to, to sell him out. And Jesus begins this statement, a very interesting thing. He says, now the Son of Man has been glorified. He's going to talk a little bit, and he ends this by saying that commandment, the new commandment, to love one another, and by this everyone will know you are my disciples. But So that's the setting. That's what's going on here. And I think, you know, if I'm preaching on this, one of the things I'm going to want to talk about is it says in verse 31, after the Last Supper, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified. What? You know, he has not yet died. He is not yet risen. Pentecost hasn't come. But he says, even now, while Judas has gone out to do what he's going to do, to betray Jesus, um, uh, he has been glorified, which is this statement, I think, from God. Uh, it's, it's working on a number of levels, because then he, goes, he says, and God has been glorified in him. So glorification, Jesus being glorified, comes from setting in motion the acts that will kill Jesus. So Judas leaves, now the Son of Man has been glorified. When it is a sure thing, a done deal, that Jesus is going to die, that's what glory looks like for him. That, he's saying, this is what I came to do, and this blows apart all of what we think glory is about. Mm, yeah. Glory is about when I get the promotion. Glory is about when I... Um, you know, hit the three-pointer at the buzzer uh, to seal the victory, not when um, the indictment has come down, the sentence has been pronounced, and you didn't get that last-minute reprieve. Um, so there's something here, again, core to Christianity, death and resurrection, not, as you just said, it's not about getting better, it's about being new, it's not about um, getting better, it's about dying. And when, when Judas has done his thing, that's when Jesus says, I'm glorified. Yeah, and where that really, I think, can hit home pastorally is is that when, I mean, people are in the grit of life as well, you know, oftentimes it's in those moments that we think that God is far away. And, um, and actually, no, that's actually where he is at work, and, uh, and he is at work glorifying himself because you are unable to get yourself out of that rut. And, um, but to take confidence and take hope that um, the glory of God is not something shiny, but it is the bloody face of Jesus. Mm. It's uh, the betrayed life of Jesus. And, uh, and so what this can do is, is that this can give the listener hope that actually um, God is at work in the, in, not just everywhere. I mean, that's, of course he is. That's a bit of an abstraction, though. It means that he's specifically at work and his glory is being demonstrated in the rough parts of your life as well. Yeah. Would, would you like to share some of those parts in um, your life, Jake? Later. Okay. <laughs> um, the, After hours. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> um, so one, one wonderful thing in here as well, which I think is just fantastic but easy to miss, mm. Jesus calls his disciples here little children. Mm. And he says, little children, I'm with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And that choice of calling them little children is beautiful in that he knows they're all about to betray him. He knows they're all about to fail. 
But what did he say earlier in the Gospels about little children? The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Mm. So it's a huge word of imputation. He's seeing them as they are. They are like children. They're scared. They don't know what's happening. They're anxious. Um, and yet they're still loved. And, you know, here we are sitting in the, um, in the middle of this conference, and we just heard Alfie Cohn, one of our keynoters, talk about um, the destructive force of conditional love in all spheres of human life, but especially with children. Mm. And if ch regardless of what parents say, if a child feels like the love of a parent is conditional, it's immensely destructive emotionally for them. And, uh, and so for Jesus here to call them little children, um, it, and with such compassion and such tenderness, um, it's, a, it's, um, it's a way of showing love to people who have failed, are failing, and will fail, and yet there's no conditionality there. He's, there he is calling them children apart from their performance mm. uh, 100%. It's a beautiful little thing. And then you can wrap up, and what happens here oftentimes is folks want to talk about the new commandment and how are you loving everybody like Jesus loved you and things like that, and that's really to uh, turn uh, this command um, into a bludgeon, but actually in light of what you just said, it's something very tender and mm. merciful. And you want to speak to that? I, th I thought your insight on this was great. Right? Yeah, so he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And human beings, present company excluded, of course, love the law. We love to turn this word into, as you said, a bludgeon, into a club, into a rule for people to then judge others, and we can measure our performance. So Jesus says, love one another like I've loved you. And then many preachers are going to do what they were taught in seminary, which is to end with an application. And the application now, which is just a fancy word for law, is how are you going to love each other? How are you going to do this? How are you going to um, uh, follow the rules? And I think um, there's two things I would sort of say about that. Jesus says... Um, um, everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, this is not a prescription or a rule he's laying down. It's actually a description of what it looks like if you are a disciple or a student of Jesus. If you're someone who's been loved in your absolute worst place, then you are someone who, God willing and through the work of the Holy Spirit, will be able to show compassion to other failures uh, and humans and sinners like yourself. Um, and so, and, and, and by the way, the love that he's talking about, he says it looks like his love, which is to say sacrificial giving up of one's self. Um, again, and that only works, that kind of love only comes from someone who has died. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's kind of what I would say about this. this and actually, Jesus' disciples can't even do this yet. Mm. They, they do a very terrible job immediately after the scene. They do a very terrible job at loving Jesus and everybody else. Mm. Um, and so what needs to happen is they need to have an experience like what Peter's is to completely fail, be loved even in that. And then that's where the, that's where the new commandment of loving one another begins to be fulfilled. That's something I would say about that. You had an interesting thought about communion, unless you want to say something else about this. No, I just I think this is a this good place in the sense of... Um, this is impossible, and I don't know if you guys know Father Doyle, Mike Doyle. He wrote a book called uh, Tattoos on the Heart, and, uh, and he is a priest in uh, central Los Angeles, and, he is, um, and his particular area is in the—so central Los Angeles is like the gang capital of the United States, and he is in the gang capital of Los Angeles where yeah. he works. 
and he tells this very powerful story about him going into the prison and, um, um, you know, sharing the gospel, and uh, one of these uh, kids um, uh, converts, and he says, you know, he baptizes him, and he says to the kid, he says, what do you desire? And the response is in the liturgy, I desire to be baptized, but the kid goes, I desire to be a Baptist. And anyway, um, but... Uh, um, Don't like, we all. Yeah, so anyway, he baptizes him. Uh, three days later, he gets word that his uh, brother has been killed mm. by a rival gang in the streets of Los Angeles. And um, this rival gang, many of these ga- former gang members are in his like covenant group, his like Bible study group mm. in prison. And Father Doyle is completely terrified that this is going to offset everything. And so he like pulls them aside. And anyway, he's like, so what's going to happen? And, uh, and the kid just weeps. Mm. And after like a long sob, like the heavy kind of sobs, he goes in and what should have been a all knockout brawl, mm. this kid hugs these former rival gang members who had been his enemies. He hugs them because now they're his brothers. And yeah. this is a completely impossible task on a profound level. And that can be a cop out, but it's completely possible because Jesus has not left us as orphans. He's given us his spirit and where his spirit dwells, there true love dwells, and uh, becomes the enabling agent to uh, fulfill in a broken and um, strange way mm. this heavenly and divine command. Yeah, uh, and I think um, this uh, statement, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. And how has he loved them? He's just taken bread and broken it and taken wine and poured it out and given it to them and said, this is my body and this is my blood. So the way Jesus has loved them is to, and, uh, is, is to have shown them his death and what it means for them. And so he, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. And in a certain sense, what that looks like then is to remind each other of the death of God for each one of us um, our own lack, our own need, our own brokenness, regardless of what gangs we're a part of, you know, that we're all human beings who have failed and fallen short. We're all human beings made in the image of God and loved by God, and reminding each other and ourselves of that again and again is where this is going to matter. So preachers out there, it says, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. Please don't make your sermon primarily about loving one another until your people have gotten what it means when Jesus says, just as I have loved you. Mm. Begin and end on that. And, and if you'll they, get a taste of the glory of you, God. And you will get a taste, and, and then you might begin to see people mm. actually loving one another, but not by being told to do it, yeah. but by being um, reminded of God's pre-existing love mm. for them. Amen. Well, this is, um, this is a great place to stop and uh, for this particular episode, and we'll jump into the next one just shortly. But to everybody listening and who's at another breakout session, whatever. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, we are glad that you're listening, and happy preaching. Uh, bye. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.